This episode of Inside the Truck is dedicated to Tim Dancy. Tim was the very first television voice of the Edmonton Oilers in the National Hockey League. We'll really miss you, Tim. You're going Inside the Truck. Sports television production revealed. How it goes from the TV mobile to your screen. The personalities, the stories, the raw excitement. Here is Paul Hemming and Steve Lansky. I'm Steve Lansky. I've been in live TV sports production for 41 years. I started as the broadcast statistician for the Edmonton Oilers. I've produced Hockey Night in Canada. I've produced the CFL on CBC, including the 1989 Grey Cup. I've worked at the X Games, both summer and winter, and I've worked at the Olympic Winter Games in Lillehammer, Norway. I am the luckiest guy on the face of this planet. And I'm Paul Hemming. I've been a live sports TV director for over 20 years. I've directed 16 World Junior Hockey Championships, six Grey Cups, the 2010 Winter Olympic Hockey Games in Vancouver, and even DRL. What's DRL, you ask? Well, it's the Drone Racing League. Currently, I'm the broadcast director for the Carolina Hurricanes on Fox Sports Carolinas. So, Paul, for the first time in the short history of our Inside the Truck podcast, we are really jamming this in. This is going to be a hard one for us to record because the qualifying round of the Stanley Cup playoffs have started and you're working like crazy. I'm watching games like crazy. We are scrambling to even get this recorded, aren't we? Yeah, you know, for the last 140 days or so, I've had nothing to do uh, sitting around during the pandemic, you know, and, and, and pondering the podcast. But now uh, it's full steam ahead with producing and directing these broadcasts. So uh, we have uh, in the next three days, we've got two games. So there's lots to prepare for and, uh, and, and get ready for the shows. What's the hardest part about what you've experienced so far with the Canes games on Fox Sports Carolina? The lack of control. You know, typically when we do shows, we're in control of everything. You know, we're in control of A to Z in the show we're in control of. And, and this is just situation, we're in control of nothing, really. I mean, we're at the mercy of what is coming down the feed uh, from Toronto. Uh, and you know, we're in a truck in Raleigh at PNC Arena and trying to do our best to convert that feed into the, into the regular Carolina Hurricanes broadcast that fans are used to seeing. And the fact that you have no control, that is the biggest challenge. It's funny, you said the word control a bunch of times, and I don't want to get too philosophical here, but I always equate working inside the truck to a bit to like being a pilot. Pilots want to control absolutely everything about their aircraft, and a lot of times, control is painted as a negative component to someone's life, and I don't know if this transfers into your personal life, it does into mine, where we're so used to controlling every little thing that when we don't have that control over something, it's really unsettling. It is for me anyway. Oh, agreed 100%. And, and when you work in sports television, you, there's no separating your work life from your private life. It, it is, it's 24-7, 365, right? You know, when you're doing a TV show, you've got, you've got your own storylines to get in. You've got your own graphics to get in. You've got your own features to get in. You've got your own replay sequences that you want to get in. And now we're trying to squeeze these in in a host feed uh, that we have no control over. It's been quite a challenge. I'll just say it's, uh, it's going to be a moving target. It's a work in progress, and it's something that we will get better at each game. But uh, right now, it's definitely, you know, probably one of the biggest challenges I've had in my career. Sometimes to me, it seems like we're at the, at the 
back of the ship and the people at the front are deciding where to go, but nobody's yelling back to tell us which way to turn the rudder. It's, and so you've got to guess. And that's guessing. Guessing in TV, live sports TV, which sounds crazy, guessing really isn't your friend, right? We try to guess as little as possible. Yeah, eliminate the guesswork. That, that, that will lead to success. And the degree of difficulty on these shows, Steve, uh, has been greatly enhanced because it, everything comes to us on a seven-second delay. In my mind, directing, I have to physically know almost seven seconds in my ahead of time in my mind where we want to be, where I'm going to send that camera, what camera shot we're going to need. If if it's a let's say it's a pan of the Carolina bench, you know, I have to start that pan seven seconds before I actually take that camera. So. That's, this is something that you never deal with in a regular situation. So you, you throw all these things in, into the bucket, and it's, uh, it's, it's a very daunting task. So not only do you have to know where you are now, you have to know where you're going to be seven seconds from now. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, you have to be Kreskin to direct these games. So basically what it's done is, from my standpoint as a director, it's eliminated any kind of camera movement. You know, if we, if we want a shot of the Carolina bench, it's going to be Rod Brindamore and players on a static shot not moving because I, I have no idea when I'm going to get there and what the camera operator is going to be doing. It's, it is very, very challenging. Yeah. Because you don't want the last one second of a five second pan. Right. And that happened. That happened during the exhibition game. We, we were telling a story on how they sanitized the Canes bench between every intermission. So we, we, we told that story. We rolled in a video pack of the sanita- you know, sanitization crews working during the intermission. And out of that, I said, okay, here we go. Out of this, we're going to do a bench pan of exactly the Carolina bench where they cleaned. And it was, in my mind, it was gold. Uh, however, I didn't start the pan early enough. So when we came out of the video pack, it was like, I was like, okay, we're in the video pack. And it's like three, two, one in the video. I'm like, okay, camera four, pan. And it was like seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, pan. It's like by that time, like they'd already dropped the puck. So we come out, it's just basically a shot of our, like our trainer and our backup goalie onto the bench. I'm like, well, that didn't work out. So yeah, that, there's all this stuff to consider uh, on the fly during these shows. And uh, I'm, like I'm saying, it's, it's, you know, I've done a lot of, a lot of TV, a lot of big shows. This is as challenging as it's ever been to make it look good. So prior to these Stanley Cup playoffs, Paul, a lot of talk was about what the broadcast would look like, but even more talk was what they would sound like. And one of the terms we used a lot, I might as well get the first gong out of the way here, is synthetic audio. Synthetic audio, artificial crowd noise and sound effects added to give viewers the feel of a capacity crowd. And the NHL decided that they would use this in their qualifying round games and in all subsequent games, but it was a huge discussion point and a bone of contention among fans, media, and everybody who thought they knew what these games should, quote, sound like. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's because you're either, you're either for it or against it. Uh, there's, you're not, you can't be down the middle on this one. You either love the fake crowd or you hate it. And at Fox Sports, we decided that for all the Fox Sports regional broadcasts in these playoffs, we would go without it. Because for the first time, you get to actually hear communication with the players on the ice you get to hear you know stuff that you would never normally hear and I'm not talking about profanity I'm talking about a goalie trying to communicate with the defenseman on a breakout or a dump in and so we decided to go without it but it is a big part now and in that vein we have brought in the man that's in charge of all synthetic audio for the NHL games in the Edmonton bubble 
So if you like our theme music on this podcast, you're going to love our guest today because it's Jeff Kozak, nicknamed Cozy. Got to give everybody's nickname on this show. We know that if you listen to episode two. And Jeff, I read your CV before we started today. And quite frankly, you'd probably be better off putting on there shows that you haven't worked on versus shows that you have worked on because I got tired flipping the pages, you know, going all the Olympics, all the everything that you've ever worked on. You have a bit of experience in the business and audio, my friend. How many, how many shows do you think we've done together, Cozy? This oh, ballpark, well, yes. thousand? Easy. Probably. I mean, if you count studio shows back in the old TSN sports desk days, I'm okay. thinking we're thousands for sure. Oh, yeah, a th- th- couple thousand now. Now yeah. we're up to that. Because yep. we all remember the 2 a.m. special. Exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, today, Coz, we're going we're gonna to get into um, your current assignment or gig, uh, as we call it in the, in the biz. Um, you are looking after the, what they're terming synthetic audio uh, from the bubble, the NHL bubble inside of Edmonton. So um, for those listeners that might not be familiar with us, just give us the, the, the uh, Reader's Digest version. When I was actually presented with the opportunity to become a bubble pilot, I was very intrigued at what my role would be. And when they told me I would be sweetening games or creating synthetic audio, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Something I've never done before. And, and it's really kind of a, their whole premise of seeking out myself and the gentleman in Toronto doing, uh, doing my doing the same job as myself was that it's something you really need a lot of experience of being exposed or mixing a lot of hockey games because my whole role is to not substitute what the fans would have been doing here, but to make the game sound like a hockey game uh, relative to what the crowd experiences, you know, when the music comes in, pump up the crowd to make the, get the energy from the building you know, your typical oohs and ahs on great saves, big hits, goals. I thought, wow, this is going to be really cool. And it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> My first game, <laughs> to be truthful. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you have nanoseconds to make up your mind because you know how fast the game is. Yep. Nanoseconds to make up your mind. What is going to develop here? If this guy shoots the puck, is he going to miss it? Is he going to put it in the net? Is it an ooh? Is it a goal? And uh, I may have in game one. Push the wrong button, <laughs> but you know, it's live TV, right? So, but it's a very organic job. It's, 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 it's really, really interesting. And I got to tell you, it's a lot of fun. I look, really look forward to doing every game because every game is the game dictates my, uh, my role. One of the things you mentioned before I hit record, Jeff, was that instead of being inside a truck, you're in a completely different place at Rogers Place in Emmett. Can you kind of explain where you're located? Yeah, I'm way up on the eighth floor. I'm about, well, looking at the ceiling, I'm probably about 35 feet from the ceiling of the building, up super high where normally the commentators would call the game from. And it's a complete 180-degree turn from my normal world. And I've actually had to learn how to watch the game a little differently because... I'm not, I'm, I'm very detached from the actual production of presenting a hockey game as, as, as most broadcasts are. Yeah, it's re- really detached. I seem to be working more with the in-house 
people because we drive each other, so to speak, in between play with uh, me doing crowd swells and depending on the music they play, coming back from break, you know, in the arenas going off, so to speak, with the crowd and that. It's, uh, oh, it's been a hoot. It's really a hoot. Are you listening to the truck then? Or are no. you not at all? You don't hear the truck at all. It's well, all, all your decision based on what you're seeing on the ice. Absolutely. I, uh, I tried that in game one where I had a, a, my director and my producer in a hot mic. And I found myself being so distracted by what's going on the ice because I was slipping into my TV role. Right. I'm, I'm so keyed on listening to these guys that I had to, to shut them off. And I was able to focus more on what was happening on the ice as opposed to what was happening on the screen. And uh, the thing I learned was normally when I mix a hockey game, uh, I'm watching the puck. And on this one, I'm sort of watching the puck on a breakout out of a zone. But when the puck's in the zone, I'm keying on the goal because that puck, these guys are so fast, their hand speed, when that puck comes out behind the net, it's in the net before you even know it. So you have to, you have to sort of, I really had to retrain my brain to, uh, to watch a game differently. It's very, so, very interesting. So, Coz, so basically you have to predict, uh, you have to be like put your Kreskin hat on and predict yeah. what you think is going to happen because you got to have your finger on that button, right? I mean, yeah. Like you described, like our, our, our world normally when we're doing a game is in nanoseconds anyway. But now, yes. now you need to be nanoseconds ahead of what's happening, right? Yeah. There's a goal. <laughs> yeah. That's how, how, that's how fast it happens, right? Absolutely. It's the most unique thing I've ever done. I mean, I've mixed a lot of variety shows where I've had an audience sweetener. So I sort of, you know, I felt comfortable in saying yes to this role, but... It's really, it's so unique. It really is a unique opportunity. And yeah, it's the most fun I've had in a long time. And what's your, the structure of your day? I mean, a lot of days in Edmonton, you're doing three games. Maybe you're doing three games every, every day. I guess it depends when the series ends. But yeah. you were mentioning that it's a lot like the Olympics with how you're sequestered and how you get back and forth to the hotel. Yeah, we're, we're in a micro bubble outside the main bubble because there's so many people here. They decided to keep all the broadcast people in one, one hotel. So they, we, we, we maintain the integrity of the bubble. We're in a bus every morning. We come to the rink. I come upstairs, fire up my computers. I'm running two, two separate systems, a main and a backup. And so I fire those up. And if there's any samples that I want to change as far as... In the actual waveform, the integrity of the sound, I'll do that or get creative and recreate some, some different loops and things like that. It, and then I, I wait. I wait for the game to start and, you know, just test all the equipment with the track, make sure I'm working, test the in-house. Oh, yeah, we, uh, it was received so positively by the league. They're quite happy with what they were hearing in Toronto and Edmonton that we were after our la our for our last game in the uh, exhibition, they decided uh, here to put us into the house for the players and see how the players would react to that. So uh, very positive feedback for them. So they decided yesterday they would do the same thing in Toronto. So it's, it's kind of cool because uh, you sort of have to, you can't dictate, if you see, say, a trip or something, yeah, you can, you can sweeten that a bit, but I don't have any disenchantment effects, any boos or cat calls or anything like that. And 
one of the coolest things is the premise of me is to maintain uh, neutrality. I don't have a favorite team. So on a, on a PK, when they clear the puck, of course, I add a little applause to that. But I do it for both teams. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So It's kind yeah. of like figure skating, Coase. Everybody gets an applause no matter what country you're from. Right? <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. Um, you, you mentioned the, uh, the change that the NHL made by, by Im- implementing your world into the actual arena now so the players are hearing it. Were there any other changes that uh, the NHL uh, agreed upon in your role from initial planning to now having done, you know, a couple days worth of games. Yeah, they've, they've kind of let me just, it's, it's a great job because they put a lot of trust in me and basically are letting me just run with it. You know, they wanted us, they didn't know how it was going to be received by the public. And they decided in their transmit path, as you know, from doing your Carolina games that you have just, the regular hockey ice mics on two channels of audio in the transmission path. And then, then you have my synthetic tracks and it gives the option of your audio mixer or your A1 in the truck or whatever facility they're mixing in. They can actually put in as much crowd as they want or not at all. So they really put a lot of thought into that. But as the initial meetings were, the, the, the motto was crawl, walk and run. And so we were being kind of mellow out of the gate. And now that we're into the qualifying rounds, it's basically balls to the wall. Away we go. When you think about it, I would say audio, whether it was synthetic audio or live mics on the ice, that was a big topic of discussion before they dropped a puck in this first game last week. I mean, that might have been the biggest topic of discussion because there were so many combinations and permutations of things you might end up with that you didn't want on the air. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that because of the lack of crowd and the profanity that sometimes comes off the ice with the uh, scrubber uh, audio filtering that they use to uh, basically eliminate the profanity, it was disconcerting at first because it basically reverses the audio. So you have no idea what they're actually saying. It sounds like they're talking Martian. Klingon, I believe. Yeah, Klingon. I'm sorry, Klingon. Yeah, let's be more specific with the dialect. I'll tell you what happened. Quick story, Coase. I don't mean to interrupt you, but in Toronto, originally out of the gate, um, a mark, they were microphones for the referees on penalty calls, goals announcement, reviews, were all from a boom mic being held by a boom operator above the penalty box. Boom mic. A microphone attached to a telescopic pole that provides direct production audio without being in the camera frame. And there was, a, there was one classic issue in Toronto early uh, during the exhibition games where the scrubber audio was, was, was accidentally put in over the boom mic and the announcement call was like, like that was a no goal. Yeah. That was beautiful Klingon, by the way. Yeah, yeah. You speak, yeah. Uh, you speak great Klingon. So I was the only guy well. in the course, I was the only guy in the truck that understood what you know, the referee <laughs> said was it was no goal. And that's why you are an award winner. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to, to interrupt, but let me ask oh, you this cool. question. Um, are you also responsible for playing that? What they've also started to implement now in, in Toronto, and I'm assuming Edmonton, is if like, like let's say in Toronto, when the Hurricanes score, they play our goal song. 
So now is that coming from you or is that coming from the in-house? No, no, that's coming from in-house because it's been pretty cool. They've taken all the horns from all the arenas that are arena specific. So, you know, Chicago has its own sound. Carolina has its own sound. Toronto, you know, all the teams that are here, they've recorded all their, all their sirens and horns and everything. And, and all their team, all their team goal celeb music. But that's that's all being played from in house. I'm just I'm just a cheer guy. So you're basically you're the role of the crowd yep. uh, in the building, basically. Yes, I am. Because okay. uh, um, then I, then I'll put this one on the uh, in house folks in Toronto who I love dearly. And if Taylor Dean's running the show, I apologize now in advance, Taylor, for this. So in Carolina's first game uh, in the Rangers series, uh, Carolina scored the first. It was a home game for for the Hurricanes. Carolina scored the first two goals, and after the their goals, we heard the uh, "Raise Up" by P.D. Pablo, the goal song for the Hurricanes that is normally played at PNC Arena. Uh, however, then the Rangers scored to make it two one, and in the building they played uh, the Rangers goal song. Uh, and you know, in a post game press conference. Justin Williams of the Hurricanes made a point saying, you know, it was a little bit disconcerting because we felt that we were the home team and they were trying to recreate the atmosphere at PNC Arena, you know, with 18,000 screaming Kaniacs. So it was a little bit, it threw the players, you know, threw the players off. So that just speaks to the fact that, you know, the audio is not only, you know, from, you know, from a crowd perspective and a viewer perspective on the shows, it's also has a dramatic impact on the players on the ice as well. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Fortunately, I'm not in charge of that. <laughs> Play <music. laughs> I have enough to worry about with making sure it's it's going to be a goal or not. How tightly do you ride everything you've got, Jeff? Like as the puck's going up the ice, are you making minor adjustments on, to that audio? Yeah, it depends on the the game. It dictates everything. If it's a really cool breakout and you know it's a one goal game, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride a qu- crowd swell. Miss past, I throw in an ooh or an ah. It helps having mixed decades of hockey to just feel that creating energy when they're on the wall, when they're they're battling on the wall forever. Uh, you know, I will bring up that intensity because you know, in a normal game, that's when people they're they're watching the war on the ice and cheering at at, at all the wall play. So I assume you're looking at a computer when you do this. How many sound options do you have? Currently, I have. Because crank up your crank up your, the audio, your your program monitor, and and let's play play some for the fans. Can you do that? There you go. Yeah. How many yeah. of those options do you have? I have probably close to about thirty options. Thirty at my disposal. I'm not. Uh, Kind of saving some for round one. I've got a few uh, team chants that I'm not playing. I don't want to. I don't want to give away all the secrets of the Cadbury caramel right away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yeah, please. Yeah. Oh my please. God, I love that you're saving things for round one. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, of course, you know it's a, it's a whole. It's that was. Part of the idea of the league, you know, how well is this going to be accepted? And, of course, you've got people who don't feel it's natural, and I'm fine with that. I truly think a lot, a lot of the feedback I've got from people is that they don't really notice that there are no people in the stands after a while. And, and because of the design of the transmission path where the end user has the, 
you know, they can make the decision whether to add in more or less or none at all. You know, it's, uh, I think it's brilliant in that regard. So here's a philosophical question then, because, and I think I know what your answer is going to be. I think the three of us right here, right now can agree that audio is underrated, underappreciated, misunderstood in live sporting events and people take it for granted. Is that accurate? Yeah. In my years of experience, it's, they always had, you know, have the 10% of the show, 90, 90% of the problem. I call it the dark art. Nobody mm-hmm. really misses it yeah. until it's gone. You know, there's yeah. all kinds of cliches involved for that. But now it's, it's in the forefront, which is really bizarre. On our broadcast, Fox Sports, uh, the regionals, we decided that we were not going to we were not going to play the synthetic audio uh, in our mm-hmm. show. Um, so our first exhibition game, we just had uh, the ice effects microphone. So you heard sticks, you know, skates, pucks, mm-hmm. shots off the glass and off the boards and stuff. However, I did notice a big difference in our first playoff game against the Rangers when we started using or hearing the, the synth audio in the house. It, it mm-hmm. definitely, ha- you could definitely notice it. It wasn't like we had control of it and we were like mixing it ourselves on our own, off our own audio board, but you could definitely hear it and it did sound much more natural. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. The company that worked with the NHL on providing the samples and the equipment I'm using is a, a, a company out of Vancouver called Electronic Arts, a video game company. And, um, EA Sports. It's EA in Sports. the game. Decades ago, they came to Toronto and recorded my uh, international sound or my effects sound from, uh, from Blue Jays baseball. So this is my second go around with these cats. It's been, it's been pretty funny. That's awesome. That, uh, but the quality of the audio that they've furnished us with is outstanding. It really is. They put a lot of thought into it. And the elements I've been given, like, oh, I, I've asked for a few things. I'm not going to give them away. You'll have to watch in the future or listen in the future. They've been very receptive and, and really intrigued by this whole process. I mean, I started when I thought, how am I going to actually do this job? And I thought, okay, we'll put speakers up in my booth. I'm, I'm about 10 feet away, social distancing from the office officials up here. And I thought, all right, I can't really put speakers big, big, big ass speakers out and really enjoy myself because I'm going to bother them. And then I thought, okay, I'll put on my uh, super lovely headphones and I'll do it that way. And you know, now that it has evolved into what it is, I think I'm six or seven games in. I don't even know at this point. I'm listening to my sampler off of a little Fostex speaker, which to anybody out there who doesn't know what it is, it's a small little six-inch active speaker with an active being it has its own amplifier in it. It's like I'm a computer a, speaker, right? It goes for those. Well, it's a little bit better than a computer speaker. Yeah, but, but yeah, in terms of the size, and if you see it, yeah, exactly. Because I'm really sort of now, because I'm so confident in, in my ability to do proper crossfades and everything's super smooth and everything that I'm listening to the building and what I'm feeding into the building. The A1 in the truck, Patrick Castonga and Chuck Ivey, who, uh, who are mixing the games here for, uh, for Edmonton, you know, they've got enough of their own ambient mics out there. So the integration of the uh, direct synthetic sound in the building with their ambient crowd mics has really smoothed it and made it so natural sounding. that I, Yeah, I just sit up here and uh, no headphones, little speaker, and just, just roar. It's hysterical. 
so much fun. So Jeff, it sounds like it's a work in progress, which I think is ultra cool because sometimes when you're in the confines of a truck, you can't have that much work in progress because you're kind of in a box and you can't get outside that box, but you've been able to make changes as you go along. Yeah, it was, uh, operationally, it was really weird. I thought, okay, so just trying to have my hands in a proper position where you could react fast enough to the play and then sitting down up in this booth because it's so high up, I'm sort of cut off from maybe a quarter of the ice, the near side of the boards. And so I found myself sort of leaning over and, you know, my accreditation was getting in the way. So I thought, this is really silly. So I used to play keyboards in bands decades ago as well. And uh, I decided I would raise my whole control system up to about keyboard height. So now <laughs> you can't help but get into it when you're uh, sort of rocking out up here. Um, it, uh, so now I'm playing it like uh, at my normal musician heights, which I found to be so much easier and I can totally see the ice and uh, watch all the plays develop. It's quite cool. Yeah, that was really important to me was the feedback from the players because one of the concerns and one of the things we did talk about before we even started this adventure was how not to influence the play at all. You know what I mean? By putting in too much and distracting, you know, like putting in a hitting, a hitting a wrong key or putting in the wrong effect at the wrong time and having the players react in a, in, in, in a bad way to it where it would disturb their game because they're so used to a flow, you know, a live flow of a game is certainly different than a, a somewhat contrived flow of a game created by somebody watching the game, if you know what I mean. So I was really conscious about that, but when we decided to go into the bowl, but I just made it sound like a game I was watching or working on. So we got a lot of great feedback from the players. I was really, re I think that's probably the most, the thing I'm most proud, of, pr proud about now is that to them, it's somewhat seamless. So, Cozy, I know uh, that, uh, you know, you're speaking to us on a game day from Edmonton inside the bubble, so we, uh, we won't take up any much more of your time, but just wanted to thank you so much for joining us. I knew when I found out that you were working uh, inside that we would definitely have to get you on the show at some point, uh, you know, with audio being, you know, the number one hot, hot topic uh, in these playoffs. So thank you for uh, sharing your uh, expertise, your knowledge, and your insight into, into how it's working. Oh, it was my pleasure, and uh, all I have to say is it was great, great doing the theme for your show. I love it, by the way. You've had some very <laughs> intriguing people on it, and uh, wow, I guess I'm one of the intriguing now, which is really me. I'm a, kind of a below-the-radar guy, but I'll leave it with this. <laughs> love it. Love your show. Thanks, boys. You got it. Hey, Coz, uh, have fun out there. And uh, I can't wait to hear, uh, hear your audio on my TV when I watch the games from Edmonton. All righty. Stay safe, boys. Thank you. you. Too. I'm not going to lie. That was absolutely fascinating to me. I learned more in 25 minutes there, however long that went, than I ever thought possible. And I love clearly... Cozy, a very creative guy. And that comes through almost in every word that he says. And if you're the league, that's the guy you want there making those audio decisions, right? There's no better man doing that than him right now in, Edmund, in the Edmonton bubble. All right, Q&A time. Uh, this one's from Auntie She. How much direction 
does the ISO team get? So basically the tape guys and the ISO director, all, even though there is no tape anymore, EVS, all digital, do the on-air guys just respond to the replays given or do they, re- do they request certain replays? Okay, uh, that's an excellent question, Auntie Shi. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, the quick answer to that is that uh, while the game is going on, there's no instruction given to the ISO producer, ISO director, and the tape department. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reaction uh, business. Uh, however, the coordination between the commentators and most importantly, the analyst and the producer will drive the replays that you see. So while all this stuff, every camera is being recorded into a videotape machine or a tapeless machine now, um, as we use, and can be queued up uh, in a millisecond on, you know, uh, whatever it is. So if, if, the, if the play-by-play or if the color commentator says, hey, uh, you know, mark that dump in, then right away, I mean, the, the ISO department, the ISO producer, the ISO director, or, you know, on our show, we don't have that. It's our lead tape operator is listening to that. So he'll automatically set a mark. And then if that's what we decide we're going to do on the whistle, it's an instant recue and away you go. But there's no time in live sports to, to have, to be, you know, leading, to be leading that, 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 that project that it's, it's completely a read and react business when it comes to replays. So years ago, before there was talk back and talk back is when the announcers can hit a mute button and talk directly to the truck without being heard on the air in the days before there was talk back, you would have copious meetings before a game or you would talk during commercial breaks about what you might want recorded or about what you might want played back. Now with talk back, you can just hit a key and say, man, that was a great two-on-one. I'd really love to see what the defenseman did there. You mark that in tape, that gets, and then what happens is the producer will hit his key when the whistle goes and says, that defensive play's coming, here it comes. Boom, yeah. there you go, right? So you have yep. to communicate that, A, you heard them in the first place, and B, it's coming back to you right now, and then the director will inevitably look at you and go, where? And you say, silver, and boom, you go to silver, and that's where that piece of tape is. So it's, a, it's almost like a triangle of communication in order to get that from where it's in somebody's head or in their eyes or on the ice to back out on the air, right? Yep, that's exactly how it works. And it's all done in split second timing as well, too, which is, you know, that that's the part that, you know, when people come in the truck and they watch for the first time and they, they see what's going on, the fact that it, what you just described happens in a nanosecond, that is, that, that's, that's the cool part about what we do. That's true. That whole thing would probably take may, maybe three seconds, maybe four maybe, seconds. And, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you can even do it without communication because you might say, what, where are we going? And look at me and I'm already pointing at the blue monitor and you just go blue, but like, we don't even have to say it. We can just point and nod and it gets crazy sometimes when you've worked together a lot. Yeah. You have to be in each other's heads and, you know, on our show, um, you know, I, I listen to talk back. I listen, you know, I have the producer, well, he used to sit beside me, but now he sits six feet away behind sneeze guard and is wearing face covering. So it's not quite communication is a lot more difficult than it used to be like, uh, you know, 150 days ago, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm in his head and, and I'm listening. And so I know that if our analyst marks, you know, uh, that, you know, the, the, the great, you know, the great defensive play by Jacob Slavin and I hear the tape guy or the tape department sell it. I know that it's coming from gold or silver or king or queen or whatever the machine is, is labeled that day. And, and that, that speeds up the process because the faster it gets to air, you know, that's what it's all, it's all about, you know, getting it right and getting to air as soon as possible. 
And those two seconds you save could be two seconds of a close-up you get coming out before they drop the puck, right? Yeah, or, or miss the face-off, depending right. on if it was a two or a three or a four-look replay sequence. You know, that extra two seconds is the difference between missing the face-off and, and getting the face-off. And that's why it's important to be able to have chemistry between two people working together. And the more you do it, the more chemistry you get. It's really hard when you don't have chemistry. It's all about reps. Is, that's right. In, in our business, whether it's producer director or, uh, you know, producer commentator or commentator to commentator, it's all about how many times have you worked together. And at that point, then eventually you just do get in each other's heads. So mostly partner, we've been focused on audio today, which I absolutely loved. But one of the biggest bones of contention early in this qualifying round is this wide jib camera that's used on the host feeds. It's a jib, which is basically a weighted camera on a swing arm on a track that goes back and forth, I assume, over the upper bowl. I haven't seen one in person. I do not love it during play. I'm not going to lie. I find it very disorienting. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Do you like it? Do you not like it? You've seen it more than I have. I like it as, as a beauty camera that enhances the game, uh, you know, between whistles. But I don't think I agree with you. I don't think I don't believe that it should be used for play by play. Um, then again, I'm just I'm an old dog. I believe that you know the the game should be seen from the game camera. I love I love all the the technology and the and the advancements in the ads in terms of cameras. But I do believe that those are like those are your gravy cameras. Those are not your meat and potato cameras. And and I although I do applaud the NHL. And, and NBC and Sportsnet for for stepping up with the that's uh, called the Jita Jib is what they're calling it, um, but I do believe that it's overused on their play-by-play coverage for sure. And the other thing that I struggle with is the puck goes out of frame a lot, and the puck goes out of frame because it's a robot robotic camera, remote camera, and there's going to be some lag in operation where you're not going to get that on a hard camera where you're actually using the camera with your hands. Agree with that? Absolutely. Um, the puck travels in an NHL game at warp speed, east, west, and north, south. And that camera is not fast enough. The, the operator is not fast enough, and the lens is not good enough to be able to track that, you know, on a moment's notice. A nanosecond, bam, we stopped. We were going north, south. Now we're going east, west. And it's very disorienting. I mean, I've worked with cable cam or sky cam on, on, on a few of the outdoor games that I've directed, and that's, that's the biggest challenge is it's a candy camera, but it's not a meat and potatoes game coverage camera. You're much better off being on, you know, uh, the main play-by-play camera, which is located on a tripod with a big lens in a stable position right at center ice. And the problem with a candy camera, which I've never heard before, but I love it. The problem with a candy camera is you paid for the candy. So now we have, we have to eat it. We have to use it because you know somebody's going to walk in and say, I didn't see that jib camera enough and here's what I paid for it. Well, I can tell you that there is somebody, one of the members of the NBC or Sportsnet production team is to stand in the back of the truck with a scorecard and count how many times the Jita Jib gets on the air because a lot of money was spent on it. And, uh, you know, the people who are paying for it want to see it. Thank God I was sitting down for that shocking revelation that somebody <laughs> that somebody would be counting the camera uses and you know what we should stop this topic now before one of us says something we probably shouldn't say well I've, if i could have a, a penny for every time an executive producer 
over my shoulder said, I'm paying for all 32. Can I see all 32? And then I, I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast because I'd be on my own private resort in the Virgin Islands. And what did we learn in one of the previous episodes? Art and commerce do not mix. They just don't. So that's going to wrap E6 of Inside the Truck. You know why? Because we got stuff to do. We're busy people. Hope you enjoyed hearing all about how the audio works, how sweet the sound on the Stanley Cup Playoff Qualifying Series. Remember, if you have not already done so, hit the subscribe button on your favorite platform and do not forget to follow us Inside the Truck on Twitter, Inside the Truck Podcast on Instagram. Check out both those platforms and we'll continue to crank out daily Stanley Cup playoff coverage. And we're on every podcast platform now? We are now, so there's no excuse. No, there really isn't. I'm Steve Lansky. He's Paul Hemming. That's it for this episode. You keep listening in Stockholm, Sweden. Man, I've never been there. I bet it's beautiful. It is a gorgeous city. You keep listening, Stockholm, and we'll keep bringing you right inside the truck.